Good news, everyone. You're listening to Geek Top 5, the podcast. Yay! The world's number one podcast being recorded at this particular intersection of space and time. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And we're here to bring you the lowdown on five really cool things that just happened. Do people still say lowdown? Is that a thing? They do now. Okay, radical. Not, a, not just any five things. The top five things. The top five things. Jumping right in, number five, bit of an aside that came out that I don't understand why it's not getting more of a big deal. It sounds like Netflix is making a production based off of Death Note. Uh, Death Note, a very popular and successful Japanese manga from 2003, yeah. uh, written by Tsugumi Oba and drawn by Takeshi Obata. Um, it's my personal favorite, and you can trust me, so you know it's fantastic. Yeah. How many manga have you read again? <laughs> Some. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, It was a big deal when it first came out in Japan. They quickly turned it into a, a pretty cool anime, and they've also done a few live-action movies in Japan already. Three or four, already to the point. Apparently not quite as good, but you know that's still a big deal to have a live-action adaptation. It sounds like what we're getting now is a Netflix westernized production of it. Which is one of those things that is really exciting because I love this franchise so much. Also really scary because it could be really terrible. Yeah, it's uh, always hard when they try to translate something from uh, another culture to our own. Like, it's pretty distinctly Japanese when you read it or watch it. At least that was the, the impression I took from it. Oh, absolutely. It's It's weird and quirky in that that way that only Japanese things can be. And I don't know how else to describe it, but it's going to be really weird trying to see them translate some of that to uh, American characters. So for those of you who haven't read it or watched it, I mean, A, what are you doing with your life? Yeah, come on. Um, but B, essentially what's happening, it's considered, and I believe Wikipedia classifies it as an occult psychological detective thriller. <laughs> Which is a hell of a lot of genres it's, in one place. It's my favorite in that genre. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, essentially, the conceit is you have a child prodigy in Japan, clearly, who f the, f the conceit is that he finds a notebook that if he writes someone's name in it and he knows who that person is, that person will die. This person, being a prodigy, decides to try and use this thing to change the world. What he's going to do is he's going to target criminals with this thing and kill them all with heart attacks. And the idea being that soon people are going to be too scared to commit crimes, because as soon as they get reported in the news, they're going to have a heart attack and die. Uh, the rest of the world figures out very quickly like that this is sort of like a magical serial killer. They don't understand how it's happening, but it is happening. And they assign kind of your stereotypical world's greatest detective to figure it out. You gotta read the first issue, I don't want to spoil how, but very quickly he narrows it down to a high school student in Japan who's doing this, and then it sort of turns into a battle of the minds between and these two characters. While you say stereotypical, this isn't like Sherlock Holmes or Rex Banner or something like that. It is a weird child, man, boy thing. It's hard to explain, and it's yeah. hidden for the first little bit of the series. Right. Um, but essentially what's happening is you have these two geniuses pairing off with each other over this supernatural power, and it's written so that it's really hard to know who to root for. Yeah. Like, you're rooting for the detective to stop the murderers, but you're rooting for the murderer to stop all these criminals. But then, to you know, to protect himself from this detective, like, you know, he'll start murdering, like, law enforcement officials. And now you're like, oh, no, now he's the bad guy. Oh, wait, wasn't he always the bad guy? Right. It really messes with your head. It's a lot of fun. It sounds like the kind of thing that Netflix could do really well, sort of with the stereotypical you know, dark and gritty anti-hero approach. Which makes sense, but it's so different from the source material. 
Yeah, uh, one of the things that I learned in my research here was that this was in uh, at one of the other major studios, and they were working on it, and they put it in turnaround, which means that they they didn't have faith that it could work, and they were gonna they it was close to being produced, and then they they pulled it back, and now it's basically back in pre production. Then they just were willing to dump it all together. So then Netflix picked it up off the scrap. He, relatively just, speaking. Relatively speaking. It's hard to say that when they're paying like $50 million for it. It's a hell of a scrap heap. But uh, the, it's going to be directed by Adam Wingard, who did Your Next and The Guest. Two movies that I love. They were really fun uh, movies that really twisted the, the genres that you thought they were. It's They're fantastic. And it's going to star Nat Wolf as, the, as Light. And he is sort of, not quite an unknown, but he hasn't been much. He was in Paper Towns most recently, and he was in a movie called uh, Stuck in Love, amongst other things. Uh, he, I'm not so sure about, but it could be interesting. Yeah, I mean, we've seen, you know, recently, we've seen examples of new up-and-coming young talent doing really well. Yeah. Uh, there's always the concern, we don't know quite what they're doing with this yet. For instance, does this interpretation of it take place in Japan? If so, it's already sort of a little western-washed. Yeah, you know, the I, same thing that happened to Avatar and to you know Gods of Egypt and all that jazz. A little sensitive. I'm guessing it's not going to be set in Japan. It, it sounds like they're going to go with you know the Western version of it. Yeah. Which you know what? I'm on board. Let's see what they can do. Um, I still feel like the manga and the corresponding anime series are going to be the parts of it that are closest to my heart. Right. But Death Note is great. One of the things I'm uh, a little a little disappointed about was that at one point Shane Black was attached to direct it, and he is. An amazing director. He did Iron Man 3 and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And he wrote some of the best buddy cop movies you'll ever see, like Lethal Weapon and, and movies like that. He's got he's such a great writer and all those movies have this fun to them and this but they're also they can also take themselves seriously. I don't know how to describe it, but he's great and I would have loved to have seen his take on it. So that's a bit disappointing, but I'm sure I'll get over it. It's also very early in this project. We don't know if any of these people will be attached to it once it's finally finished, if it ever gets finished. But it's something that we're excited about and we're going to keep an eye on. Moving on to number four. Uh, very recently, Square Enix had a big event and dumped lots of information, a new playable demo, and a release date for a troubled video game production, Final Fantasy XV. Uh, it's going to be released September 30th, and they have a new downloadable demo available on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One if you want to give it a shot. They've also released tons of new information about all the stuff that's coming with it, which is a big deal. Uh, Final Fantasy XV, this game anyway, was originally announced as Final Fantasy XIII uh, back in 2006. That's how long it's been in production. Well, that just means mm. they've had 10 years to make it as good as possible. Well, that's the thing. They've been spending a lot of time and a lot of money on it for 10 years. And as part of this event, um, the game's director, Hajime Tabata, was quoted as saying that the game would need to sell 10 million copies to recoup on its investment. Now, the, co the media jumped on that, and then the company came out and said, no, 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 that was a, that was a translation error. <laughs> oh, yeah. Clearly. Uh, what he meant was that selling 10 million copies, that would be fantastic. <laughs> They'd be very excited if they did. But it's starting to look a lot like that first report may have been more accurate. This game's been in production at a major A-plus studio for a decade, Plus, they're also releasing mobile games to tie into it, an anime series to tie into it, and a full-length feature movie that's going to be available for streaming and download to tie into it. And this isn't just, you know, guys from the studio. Uh, leads in this movie are Sean Bean and Lena Headey, uh, Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad. Like, 
It's a real big deal, and all these people need to get paid, in addition to the video game making that kind of money. Um, for reference, since not everyone's up to date on the you know, latest numbers for the sales of video games, the only Final Fantasy game that ever sold 10 million was Final Fantasy VII. On the one hand, it makes you think, okay, well, they've done it before. But on the other hand, Final Fantasy VII sold that many copies because uh, it's considered one of the most popular video games of all time, and it's still been selling these since its original release date from 1997. Right. So, yeah, it's possible if this game is a huge smash hit, following, you know, the following precedent, it's possible it'll sell that many by the mid-2030s, I think, if I'm doing my math properly. Yeah. So, what about all the, the uh, Final Fantasies in between? Did they just, like, fall off a cliff after that? Or are their sales in that See, ballpark? Or? They certainly have never hit that. Where, you know, where it used to be. Um, back when Square Enix was Squaresoft, the Final Fantasy games were considered like the adventure role-playing games. Like They were the video games to play. Right up probably until the PlayStation 2 era, probably around Final Fantasy X. And then they just sort of started to lose their momentum. Um, a lot of people point out that the, the active time battle stuff that Final Fantasy uses is a turn-based combat mechanic. This guy does something, then this guy does something, then this guy does something. A lot of the original reasons for having that was because we didn't have the computing power to have, you know, an right. action scene like something out of Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, except now we do. So that style of gameplay has been getting lower and lower in popularity. People aren't as interested. They're not selling as much. By the same token, later and later Final Fantasy games have been trying to reinvent those combat mechanics, and they've never really sat very well. Hmm. No one's ever been 100% thrilled. Um, it's worth noting that you know this game was only one of several that were originally going to be titled for Final Fantasy XIII. The game that did eventually come out as Final Fantasy XIII actually released a trilogy. So in a way, I guess you could interpret it as Final Fantasy XIII, and then Final Fantasy XIII II, and then Final Fantasy XIII III, which is just the kind of madness that happens at this company. But with the Final Fantasy, there's that makes a bit more sense than with other video game franchises because the story is very unique to that game. So to make Final Fantasy thirteen two, Final Fantasy fourteen would have really broken the the trend. That's true. Usually, you know, when they increase the the main number sequentially, you're dealing with a whole new world and whole new characters. It's just like the only thing they have in common is sort of the gameplay design schematics. 13.2 and 13.3 were direct sequels. Now, do you think that hurts the Final Fantasy franchise, the fact that there isn't much consistency from one game to another? I don't, especially because of the Final Fantasy games, the way they work, the way they play. There's something like, these are 50, 60-hour games. It's not like a movie where you're with the character for two hours. You're with these characters for a long time, and they tell a very complete story. Right. If anything, they're criticized that there's too much story. It gets very confusing because there's too many characters and too much stuff going on. Hmm. Um, in any case, the demo is out if you want to give it a try. I didn't like the demo that much. Not really connected to any of the rest of this. I just, I didn't enjoy it very much, but you can give it a try. And the thing um, is, like, how, how long did it take you to play that? What, an hour, an hour and a half? What, the demo? Yeah. I think I was done in 20 minutes. So, it's not, for a 60-hour game, that's not necessarily indicative of what the rest of the game is. Like, maybe no. it's just a bad demo. And, so, and that seems to be the opinion going around on the internet. This is actually the second demo for this game. Hmm. Uh, the first one came out with another Final Fantasy release called Final Fantasy Type-0, I believe. Uh, Man, that's not even the weirdest title. Don't don't get me started. Um, you could only play the demo if you bought this other game. And that one got a lot better reviews. 
So it's okay. possible this is just a lousy demo, but especially with this news being through the media about it, essentially it seems to be implying that they're really in the hole on this project. It sounds like a hell of a collar tugger. I would not want to be the guys at Square Enix right now who have to you know, make up the balance for this. On the other hand, maybe they're so confident in it that that's why they did the TV show and the, the movie. Which seems possible until you play the demo. Mm. It wasn't a great demo. All right. It's available for download if you want to give it a shot. And we'll see the final release in the end of September, and we'll see how they sell. Moving on now to number three, Leaving the World of Japan. Yep. <laughs> Settling in England, I guess. Okay, now this is difficult for me because I am a dangerous subversive, and as such, I don't know that much about Doctor Who. All right. Um, it's a character flaw, and I am seeing someone, I'm getting help, but... That means I only know so much about what's happening here is there's a Doctor Who spin-off series they're talking about. Yeah, it wouldn't be the, the first. There have been a, a few spin-offs over the years. Uh, the, for a while, as ridiculous as it sounds, uh, Doctor Who had a robot dog companion named K-9. Uh, yeah, uh, that was in the 70s or 80s, and that character was actually popu- popular enough that there was a whole K-9 TV series. I don't think it lasted that long, and it wasn't directly connected with the uh, Doctor Who series because of the way copyright works over in England. That character was created by a different guy, so he was able to do whatever he wanted with it afterwards. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. More recently, there have been a few spinoffs. Uh, the ones, the big ones are, uh, I think it's the Sarah Jane Adventures or something. That was a more kiddie one where Sarah Jane, a former companion of the Doctor... Uh, took these school kids on adventures and they stopped monsters and stuff. And the other one, which this sounds like it might be a bit more related to, was called Torchwood. And it was trying to be Doctor Who, except dark and gritty. And man, it was bad. At least what I saw of it. I I could barely get through the first season. And after that, I was like, I am not. I bet you watch a lot of TV. And I watch a lot of TV. And this was bad. Bad. It was, uh, and I I do not say that often, but that is a stinker. So I'm a little concerned about this because that track record, but uh, it could be interesting. What they're saying is it's like uh, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer type show. Right. It's called Class. That's what they're calling it for now. It seems like a bad title to me, but we'll see. Uh, it's it's gonna it takes place at the school that's been sort of a, an off again on again part of the the series. The show started with the doctor's granddaughter going to school at this. I can't remember the name of the school, but that's where she was going. And then they get swept off on adventures. His the doctor's first two companions were teachers from the school, and more recently, the current doctor's companion is now a teacher at the school. So they they bring it back and forth uh, through time. It's the Doctor Who. Uh, but this series is going to be about a bunch of kids and teachers at that school, and they face monsters on a semi-regular basis. I guess Doctor Who stuff happens, like time monsters or something. I'm guessing there won't be much. I, there's not much info out there about it, but my, my guess would be the time travel element would be pretty limited or non-existent i think just space monsters and aliens will show up and mess up the school and these plucky teens will have to send them packing right 
So yeah, even in that article where they you know they interviewed, they first released this, they were already talking about that. Yes, it's very easily to compare to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. Um, they mentioned that the show was going to be dark and sexy, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I don't know if I was watching... Was Buffy dark and sexy? I remember uh, it being really comical and lighthearted. You know, it had some dark stuff, like uh, the episode where Buffy's mom died and the, the one where uh, Willow's girlfriend was shot. Those were pretty dark. Right, those were dark moments over six six seasons, yeah. seven seasons. I, I was also the episode where the whole thing was a musical. Um I, I, I find it strange hey, that you... hey, that musical was forced on them by a demon. That's it's dark, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I find it interesting that they decided to go with dark and sexy to describe Buffy. But I mean, I can understand why they would want to do it in a new show. It's mm-hmm. I mean, you know, these days if you want to put something on TV, you have to have a woman take her top off. Ever since Game of Thrones, that's the only way you can make something sell. Well, I don't know if the BBC is necessarily going to go in that direction, but I honestly kind of hope not. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see how this turns out. It's it's going to be it, the the main producer on it is Stephen Moffat. I don't know how involved he's going to be. He has been in charge of Doctor Who for the last I don't know six seven years, maybe more. And uh, I loved a lot of his early stuff. He did some great writing with with the uh, David Tennant's Doctor, and then he created Matt Smith's Doctor, and that whole run was fantastic, as far as I'm concerned. The the storytelling just went up to a whole other level. Once Matt Smith left and they brought on Peter Capaldi, the show kind of lost me a bit. Uh, something something about the quality dipped, and I, I wasn't I don't know it, it completely lost me at that point. I, I stopped watching after six episodes in. So I'm a little concerned based on that. I'm a little worried that Stephen Moffat's lost his magic. That being said, he's still the creator and, and showrunner on Sherlock, and that show never seems to disappoint. I mean, and he's going to be dealing with a whole new, well, I guess relatively new cast of characters and a whole new situation. Yeah. Give him an opportunity to do something else. I'm willing to give him the room to play. Yeah. It sounds interesting. I mean, again, I'm not that even that into Doctor Who, but I'll watch a dark and sexy British Buffy the Vampire Slayer that also has time travel. Yeah. That, that pushes a lot of my buttons all at once. <laughs> like, if they throw an X-Wing in there, yeah, like, yeah. then we're in business. <laughs> There's, you know, space, X-Wings are possible. So, moving on to number two. This is, um, how do you lead into the killing joke? Well, do you like Batman? <laughs> <laughs> The Killing Joke is an arc that's very infamous from the Batman universe for a sensitive reason, I suppose. Um, this is, I mean, is, did anything else interesting happen in The Killing Joke, or is it all just around this incident with Batgirl? There's a lot of interesting stuff, but that Batgirl thing is probably the most lasting consequence of the story. So, spoiler alert, if you didn't Not read even, it, it's right at the beginning. It's right <laughs> at the beginning? Okay. So if you didn't read The Killing Joke like 10, 15 years ago, yeah. what's the setup here? The setup is Batgirl is basically getting ready to retire from being Batgirl. She's sort of outgrown it. She's going to try and go to college, do her, you know, Barbara Gordon stuff, try and live that life. So she's visiting her dad, the uh, illustrious Commissioner Gordon, and there's a knock on the door. She goes to open it. There is the Joker, one of the most horrific villains of Gotham City. He's standing there in a Hawaiian shirt. He's got a camera like a tourist around his neck. And he's got a pretty sizable handgun. And he shoots her point blank in the stomach. And then, I believe, we cut straight from that to Batman trying to track down what's happened. Right. Now, he's doing that, like, the Joker's doing that to target Commissioner Gordon, correct? Yeah. Like, this is a, you know, hurt the people you care about thing. Yeah. Um, 
big consequences for the Batgirl character. Um, as a result of this, she became Oracle. Yeah. Um, the paralyzed but super cool computer information person. Yeah, which was a great move for the character. It made her something unique in the Batverse, you know? There's a million Bat characters, especially these days. There have been like five Batgirls since then. But she was unique. She was this... Uh, uh, a great example of what you can do with a disabled character, and she was important to the Batman universe. It was. It really changed the way that you could look at a superhero, and it was a really big deal. And now they're bringing that paralyzing incident to TV. <laughs> <laughs> well, a direct-to-DVD movie, at any rate. Uh, the rest of the story involves, you know, it's it's written by Alan Moore and drawn beautifully by Brian Boland. It's it's fantastic art. It's a really interesting story where you really get to see the contrast between Batman and Joker. It could almost have been the last Batman-Joker confrontation. In fact, I think there's some debate about whether it was originally meant to be in continuity or not. Like, if it was just going to be sort of a side story where Alan Moore could do whatever he wanted to the characters. But it was so impactful and so important to the way the, the characters were portrayed that it became canon. It became, like, a really important part of the character's history. In, in another important part of the story that doesn't get talked about as much because of the paralyzing incident is that we got an origin for the Joker. You know, the Joker had always been sort of ambiguous about how he became the Joker and what he was like before he was the Joker. But this gave uh, some sort of origin for him. But the other thing about the Joker is he's so unreliable that it was always sort of like, well, is that really his origin or is he just trying to mess with Batman again? And in fact, that origin has since been disputed and that's why it's not considered as important. But man, it is a great origin about this terrible stand-up comedian who gets pulled into a life of crime and one thing leads to another. He gets covered in goo that makes his skin white. And We also have the Michael Keaton one. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it could be interesting. It's interesting that they're doing this obviously really dark story as a cartoon. It's been a, a long time discussed. Like, they've been wanting to do this story in some form or another, but, man, it is tricky to try and do as a cartoon, especially with sensitive parents in the, you know, Batman DVD aisle. It, it, it could be tricky. Now, it's not the first serious story they've done. I mean, there's also a direct-to-DVD Death and Life of Superman, like... Right, they, I don't know how serious that is. <laughs> well, okay, I, well, I, I guess it's tricky when it's Superman. He can die and come back all the time. Yeah. Um, dealing with consequences, like real-world consequences of gun violence is interesting. Yeah, and beyond that, there's Batman is going to try and get the Joker. He's in this fun house. Commissioner Gordon is there, and he's tied up naked in a cage, and there's all these pictures of the wounded Barbara Gordon in various states of dress and undress. So there's all these questions about... Did Joker stop his attack with just shooting her in the stomach? I mean, there's a lot of dark stuff that's happening in the periphery of this story. And I don't think they're going to shy away from it in the, this movie. I think they they are emboldened by the success of the Dark Knight Returns direct-to-DVD movie that they did. They put it in two parts, and it's very faithful and very dark. But it's still pretty much superhero violence. This is a bit more serious. Yeah, this is a real person yeah. who really gets shot with a real gun. It's not a kryptonite ray. It's yeah. not, you know, a mind control beam. It's not... It doesn't go into over-the-top supernatural superheroics. It's real people who happen to wear capes dealing with the real consequences of their violence. It's... You know what? If I was going to trust it to anyone, I would say I would trust it to this team. 
It's amazing that I, I generally don't enjoy the DC movie movies, but all yeah. their direct-to-DVD stuff has been fantastic. Yeah, Bruce Tim is uh, uh, the brains behind a lot of that stuff, and he's was a co-creator on a lot of the cartoons that we loved growing up, the, the Batman animated series, the Superman animated series, Justice League. A lot of that stuff is coming from his, at least, guidance. Batman Beyond, ah, oh, love that show. And he's he's not involved in the art side of it, but he's gathered the people together. And the real coup here, as far as I think we're concerned, is the voice cast, where they got Kevin Conroy, the Batman, the Batman. for our generation, and Mark Hamill, who is pretty much the definitive Joker by anyone's standards. Heath Ledger's great, Jack Nicholson's great, Mark Hamill is the Joker. Yeah, that's not just us. That's lots of people are excited about that. Yeah. Everyone who remembers the 90s Batman cartoon that started with the Warner Brothers logo that faded into yeah. the blimp. Da, 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 da. Yeah. yeah. That Batman voice, that's just, that's Batman. It's yeah. always been Batman. Yeah. And Mark Hamill's Joker is terrifying. Yeah. Like Mark Hamill himself has come out and said he feels more protective of the character of the Joker than he does of Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker was a guy he played in a few movies, but he's been the Joker for a long time, and he's made a thing out of it. Yeah. And he's also been threatened to quit a couple times, but keeps coming back. I guess he just... Well, that's the interesting thing. One of the last times he threatened to quit, he said, uh, you know, he was like, oh, I think this is going to be it for me playing the Joker. And someone said, well, what if they did a Killing Joke movie? That was, he was like, if they do that and they don't hire me... You know, he was going to... Hell was going to be raised. Yeah. Okay, so he's in. Yeah. It's always good to know that when, when the cast feels as much about the characters that we do. That's very reassuring to me. Yeah. One of the things that I found a little surprising uh, in the behind-the-scenes video that came out this week, it was about... It showed clips from the movie and showed uh, them getting the cast together and some of the recording, but Mark Hamill had... Pretty short hair, and he was incredibly clean-shaven. And this is a guy who is, like, beardy and hobo-ish in The Force Awakens. And it was a real beard, and it was, I think, his real hair, or at least mostly his real hair. And he's been showing up everywhere with the beard. So I'm wondering, when did they record his voice for this? Yeah, was it done way before Force Awakens filming started? Or yeah. did he shave for a while in between? Yeah, like, how, how long have they been sitting on this information? Yeah, we'll never find that out. Yeah. I say it's a tough call, but they're going to keep it pretty close to the chest. I can't wait for this one to come out. That's going to be a blast to watch. Yeah. Um, I feel guilty about being excited for it because I care so much about the characters. I don't yeah. want this bad thing to happen, but what a great part of comic book history to explore, and I love to see it portrayed that way. Definitely. Number one. I feel like we're going to be talking about this for a while. This morning... We finally saw the first teaser trailer for Star for Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Now, before we get too excited, a Star Wars story? A Star That's Wars story. That's what they're calling these side movies? They needed to call it something, and they couldn't label, start off with Star Wars. They need to distinguish it. That's what they've gone with. I don't like it either, but, you know, we've got a long history. Listen, you want to talk about stupid names? You want to go back to Square Enix? All right? <laughs> a Star Wars story is fine. I guess so, but is it going to be... Han Solo, a Star Wars story? It might. Yeah. Well, I, whatever. In any case, Rogue One's been announced, it was announced a long time ago, and we haven't seen anything for it. There's been like a cast photo and some occasional props and nothing. Now we finally have a teaser, and oh man, is it giddy. Yeah. <laughs> I just, it's straight, it looks like essentially what they're doing, and we knew they were doing this, but they're making a very dark and serious film 
set in the Star Wars universe. Now, we've been saying dark a lot, and dark and Star Wars don't always go hand in hand. Uh, I mean, everyone talks about Empire with the, the, the ending of that. It's a pretty dark ending. But there's a lot of fun mixed in with that. And I, I think there will be some fun in this, too. Like, right? Yeah, They're not going to take themselves too seriously. Well, that's what I, that's what has me nervous. Mm. I mean, like, listen, there's a lot of things to be nervous about here. It's a Star Wars prequel. We all know how well those <laughs> that usually goes. Yeah. Um... It's, you know, it doesn't look like it's very much fun. It looks like it's very serious, which is not what I go to Star Wars for. Right. But on the other hand, I mean, it like the look of Star Wars is down perfect. That's that character is in the Yavin base and that's oh, yeah. the Death Star and like the models of the old Mark 1 Imperial Star Destroyers with the goofy bridges like it all it, it it's clearly docked with a new hope. Everyone's wearing these real seventies clothes. It's like very much in that wheelhouse. They they went back and watched a new hope frame by frame and made exact replicas of their, their outfits. It looks pretty dead on. Yeah, it, it absolutely except for the quality of the video, it could yeah. have been filmed at the same time. Yeah. As it could have been on the same set as a new hope. Um we've seen the, the introduction of the new character, the protagonist, Jin Urso. Which has to be a nod and a wink to Jan Ors. I don't think so. Man, the expanded universe character Jan Ors, who it seems fairly interchangeable with this character. I don't, I, know. I, I don't <laughs> think it's going to turn out that's a real name or anything, but it's got to be sort of a nudge nudge. That is, she's a pretty obscure character, even in a, the the Star Wars expanded universe, which is littered with obscure characters. She's obscure even by those standards, right? I mean, I'm not crazy. You're not crazy. I mean. I play that X-Wing tabletop miniatures game, and I have a Jan Ors card. Like, that's a brand new game that they yeah. just made, and it's in there. All right. She's real. In any case, I'm sure it won't turn out to actually be her, but it's, it seems to me like it's a fun nod to Dark Forces fans. Um, because of some you know, very, like, very obvious links, such as the fact that she's in a Star Wars movie and she is a woman, people on the internet are already wondering if this is Rey's mother. Oh, man. Um... Because of that, you know, really solid identifying evidence. Yeah. I think it's a bit much for that kind of speculation, guys. But whatever. That's whatever drives your Twitter chats. Um, we've also gotten some shots of some of the rest of the cast. We still don't know who, or what, I should say, Alan Tudyk is playing yet. Yeah, Alan Tudyk, uh, best known to us geeks as The Wash. voice of King Candy. Uh, well... Right, right, Firefly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wash <laughs> from Firefly. Come on, Jess. Yeah. Uh, who's in the movie doing a performance character. Uh, might be a motion capture thing, might be a droid, we don't know. There's a couple shots in the trailer where she's running around with this big gangly-looking droid. Might be him, we don't know. This is the stage that we're at right now. Yeah. We're breaking this trailer down frame by frame just because of how exciting it is. And all those things I mentioned, all the reasons I have to be worried about this movie are all valid. doesn't matter. I'm still excited. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm still so excited. What did you think when you saw the AT-ATs and that, uh, that beachfront scene? I, honestly, that didn't affect me as much as what, what really hit me was the construction of the Death Star. Mm. Um, you see, like, there's, a, there's a close-up of it, and you know what it is, but then it pulls out and you see them settling the dish into yeah. place. I know. I was getting excited about that, and I was like, it's not like this was a surprise. I yeah. knew it was about the Death Star plans. Why am I so excited just seeing the Death Star? And let's face it. I've stolen the Death Star plans a lot. That's a part of Star Wars history that I've relived through countless novels, comic books, video games. There's no reason why I should be excited to steal the Death Star plans again. Right. But, man, I just can't wait to see it. If 
anything sort of made me a little nervous. It was sort of the samurai guy fighting the stormtroopers with the stick. It yeah. seemed like a little, okay. I mean, I know you're going for an Ocean's Eleven. Everybody's got a specialty thing. That seemed like a bit of a stretch. But, I mean, whatever. They have laser swords. Why can't somebody fight with a regular sword? Yeah. I don't know why it bothers me so much. It, so, there's another thing you mentioned when we texted briefly about this. You you mentioned something about her outfit and that final shot of her. Where she's, ah. There's, oh, there's so many things I want to talk about in that one shot. This is Forrest Whitaker is doing his very dramatic, yes. essentially the the dark and gritty version of the being seduced to the dark side speech. If you, if you keep being all crazy and not having any character development, what will you become? Right. And in that shot, we see the protagonist, but she's dressed as an imperial. I thought it looked a lot like the Inquisitor outfits from the Star Wars Rebels cartoon. So explain what that is. The Star Wars Rebels cartoon takes place at the same time this movie will be taking place in the Mm. Star Wars canon. It's a few years before New Hope. The Inquisitors are the bad guys in this cartoon. Uh, They're like they're not like they're they're, essentially they're like Sith light. Right. They they have the red lightsabers and they have some force, but they're not very good at it. And it's implied that like because all the good stuff is being held back for Vader and the Emperor. They don't want to spread this force stuff around. Okay. Um, her outfit looked a lot like the Inquisitor's outfit to me, which would also imply that she might be force-sensitive. On the other hand, as you pointed out to me, it also looks a lot like just a TIE pilot's outfit, which is a lot more reasonable and would require a lot less character development. I don't know, but when I saw that potential link to the cartoon, <laughs> it really made me giddy. Right. The cartoon has definitely been hinting at sort of a shared universe thing that's very exciting. Uh, One of the things they did in the finale of season two is one of the characters found an old lightsaber that was uh, like a cross-guard saber, like Kylo Ren's. Mm. Just a quick nod to The Force Awakens, but helps to tie everything together to say, like, this is all happening in a single world, which is kind of new for Star Wars, because in the old days, you know, the expanded universe, anyone could write anything. Right. And just went off into all kinds of different directions. I would be thrilled if they found a way to tie it into the cartoons just with that little sort of throwaway thing. I'm also an obsessive fanatic, and it's possible I'm reading far too much into it. Okay. Uh, It's also a big part of the trailer was Mon Mothma, who hasn't had much play in the movies outside of Return of the Jedi. And even there, she's a bit of a, you know, a bit of a throwaway. She's just there for a briefing and to have one other female character other than Leia. Uh, but she gets to turn up in this and send, uh, what's her name again? Jin Urso. Urso. I'm going to have to get used to that name. Uh, yeah, so there she sends Jin off on her mission. Um, what'd you think of her? I, spookily accurate. Um, her voice sounds a lot like the Mon Mothma from Return of the Jedi. No, it's not the same lady. It is the same lady who played Mon Mothma in some of the deleted scenes from Revenge of the Sith. Oh, okay. Um, if you got, you know, if you feel like watching episode three for some reason, check the deleted scenes. It's still her. So that's nice that they're finally giving her some screen time. Uh, Mon Mothma as like the, essentially the leader of the rebellion. It doesn't get discussed much in the movies, yeah. but she's you know she's the good queen. She's the Galadriel of this universe. Right. Um, actually showing her doing stuff besides just standing there talking about the Death Star for five minutes. That's nice to see. And, I mean, do we even know that 100%? I know a lot of the Expanded Universe stuff got flushed down the toilet. We know that 100%. In the new novels that have come out, like ah. that, that are now being coordinated, um, I think it's by Pablo Hidalgo and Kathleen Kennedy at Lucasfilm, Mon Mothma has been, in, like, has been there. This, this is who she is. This is her character. This is what she's done. Um, she, also sh- she never gets named, but she also shows up a bit in the Clone Wars cartoons, which are also considered canon under the, you know, the new order. Right. Of canon things in Star Wars. Um, long story short, 
we still don't know that much about this movie, but we've finally seen some of it, which is a bit of a relief, because you know, usually the hype train would have left the station a long time ago. Yeah, it's coming out in December, right? It's coming out in December. It, the plan seems to be a new Star Wars movie every Christmas for the rest of our natural lives. And so far, those seem like they're going to be pretty good Christmas presents. Yeah, until we get to the young Han Solo one. I don't know how I feel about what? that. Oh, uh, give it a chance. I, I'm willing to, to give them a chance on just about anything at this point. I, I know I know what you're going to say, but odds are... I, I never tell me the odds. <laughs> but I don't know about that one, but we'll see. In any case, if you haven't watched the Rogue One trailer, go do that. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. we'll talk... And then come back and we'll talk to you about it later. <laughs> In any case, those are the top five coolest things that we thought happened recently. We'll be right on back. Uh, Go and watch that trailer and keep on joining us for the second half of the show. Time for part two of Geek Top 5 this week with our specialty top five list. This week we've got our special guest, Jonathan Steven, Gears of War fan Hello. <laughs> Big time hero guy. Vi- visiting us here from the Coalition of Ordered Governments. Yes. Here with an informative package. Um, <laughs> Straight from the cog. John, what are we talking about here today? So, I've compiled a list of my top five favorite uh, weapons in Gears, and this is across all the games. Now, Gears, you know, it's a, it's a third-person shooter, over-the-shoulder yes. over shooter. Um, it's basically a ducking simulator, as I understand. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Crouch behind walls, shoot aliens. Very cover-based. Like all yeah. important shooters, it's important to have the right tools at your disposal. Different weapons do different things to different characters. Uh, so having the best ones and the coolest ones are the best. So let's, we're going to start from the bottom, work our way up. What's number Sounds five? Good. So at number five, I've got the Mulcher machine gun. Now this is carried by the grinders. Um, it's kind of like a it's got a rotary handle. It's hand cranked. Great for laying down suppressive fire and taking out those bullet sponge enemies like the maulers and the boomers and things like that. So so what's a grinder? Educate me. So the grinders are essentially the locust enemies that are holding these these mulchers. I mean, I think. They pretty much got into the hands of the Locust, but they were initially developed by the COG. The good and, guys. Yeah, okay. the good guys. All right. <laughs> so the grinders essentially these giant, I don't know. Jerks. How do you explain? Yeah, giant walking sort of beast, you know, pretty pretty dumb. And they just come, like, stumbling towards you with these big miniguns. Yeah, massive minigun. Uh, I think they're referred to as bucket heads as well, because they've got sort of a bucket-shaped helmet on. That's racist. And... <laughs> I don't know, and uh, yeah, they, they've got this great weapon, so if you pick up one of these, it's really good for, you know, holding down the line kind of thing. Uh, and it's literally just spray and pray, right? Pretty like, much, it's, Which yeah. is interesting, since Gears, a lot of it revolves around their active reload system, yes. but that doesn't really apply in this case, no. right? I feel like you can pretty much just point in the direction that you're aiming in and go from there. You know, anything that was there is instantly vaporized. <laughs> so I'm going and... gonna, gonna to play the part of the, the layman, the lay Graham, if you will, and uh, will you explain to me what active reload means? So, an active reload is essentially, it's like a little mini-game when you uh, reload your weapon, and if you get a perfect reload, you do double damage. Oh, okay. So, So think of it like a timer. Um, So instead of just pressing X to reload, you have to do like a whole, like, what, DDR routine? Well, you start the reload, 
and then you have like a it's like a horizontal bar. Yeah, there's a bar, and there's a and a, it's a little you know, a little indicator travels across the bar, and there's a point where you want to hit the button. Uh, yeah, okay. and each weapon has a different bar as well. So like some of them reload faster, some of them are a bit slower to reload, but. You know, if you if you get that bar right on, you do a tremendous amount of damage. Not to mention reload faster. Yeah. Mm. If you mess it up, you're stuck watching your guy do the animation of, like, how does he fix his yeah. gun for a while, while all these other guys are shooting at you, and it's a nightmare, yeah. and you hate yourself. Okay. Of course, with this gun, it doesn't really matter too much, because, as you said, you can just kind of fire and, you know, spray and pray. You don't really need that active reload. <laughs> Until you run out of ammo. Yeah. So... In most shooter games that I've played, if someone picks up a minigun like that, it tends to make them slower when they're walking around. The Gears guys yes. seem pretty slow to begin with, for they the most are. part. They're pretty much tanks. So does does the, this gun make them even slower? This slows you down considerably. You pretty much wow. want to have it like mounted on a wall or something like that, and you're just kind of just sitting there and just swiveling it like a turret. Okay. You don't want to really walk around with it, and that's why it's my number five. Better than some of the others, but leaves you open. Yeah. All right, that's fair. All right, what's up? So, uh, on to number four, I've got the Boomshot Grenade Launcher. Pretty fancy. Yeah. Uh, Carried by Boomers, which are also sort of a variant of Locust Horde enemies. There's there's different types. So one is a grinder that carries the machine gun. One is a Boomer that carries the Boomshot. Do they look different, or is their name just based solely on the gun they carry? It's hard to tell. Like, Like, they are weird creatures... Um, if they look, if you think kind of the way like modern day like zombies look, like they're just people, but their skin's all melty and their eyes are all hollow. Yeah. It's that. Yeah, you can tell the difference from what you're facing when you're playing, but it's usually because you look at the weapon. Yeah, pretty much. And I think the boomers just yell "boom" before they fire. So yeah, that's, another... <laughs> uh, yeah. that's how you know you're in yeah. trouble when right. you hear that. <laughs> um, so this is a great weapon for crowd control. You can take down a lot of guys at once. You don't really need to be have the perfect aim you could just fire into a crowd and pre- you're pretty much going to kill somebody um it's got like an explosive shell what's not to love really? <laughs> so do the do the guns you know how many games have there been three four five eight there have been four now. so do we don't the... really count the last one too much though, oh okay yeah. <laughs> do the guns change a lot from game to game they do they've introduced some new ones in three and then i believe in the game with solely with baird but I think, like, for the most part, they're, the, the core gu- guns are pretty much the same. Yeah, now a grenade launcher is a pretty typical weapon in a, in a first-person shooter. It gives you that option where instead of have, drawing a line from you to the target, you have that arc. So you yeah. can use it to get over obstacles. You can try to bounce it around corners. It gives you those extra options you have. Just, I mean, yeah. I guess, in a way, this thing, there's nothing that special about it. Like, you know, ever since, like, well, certainly before GoldenEye, but back in the no. days, almost as far back as Quake, you've had grenade launchers. Right. Yeah. Uh, With this, you can kind of just point it at the ground, and then the, you know, it, it does so much, like, collateral damage, you could just take out a bunch of guys at once. Okay. So that's usually the strategy with this, and that's why I find it's, it's pretty good. It works really well in multiplayer as well. Now, in multiplayer... So. Like this, multiplayer is very different from single, right? Like in it gears, is. yes. You know, the enemies tend to be like what you, you use the term bullet sponge. Like the enemies, you yeah. tend to have to try really hard to bring them down because yeah. they're these horrible alien monster things. Yeah. In multiplayer, you're just other guys. Yes, right? it's a lot more fast paced. But there are modes like you know King of the Hill and things like that where if you have a lot of guys crowded around in the same spot, 
this is a perfect weapon to just take them all out right. at once. Right. So this is what I'm getting to. In single player, I know I've definitely you know like tossed a grenade and thought you know fire yeah. in the hole has been an explosion and like everyone's been fine. Like right. the monster comes stumbling out of the yeah. thing. It's like ah oh, nuts. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, in horde mode, the enemies get tougher as well. So you know it's that's something to take into effect. But I guess in, yeah. so in multiplayer is where this really shines, yeah. is because especially a King of the Hill game type yeah. where everyone's you know, all built to get in this tiny little area and where it'll actually do something. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to be extremely accurate either. You can just fire it at, you know, at a group of guys and you're probably going to kill one. I'm, <laughs> I'm starting to see a pattern here. You yeah. like the easy weapons. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, like I'm, I'm narrowing it down. I'm narrowing it down <laughs> yeah. to the, you know, the finer weapons. So, number three, I've got the long shot sniper rifle. Uh, I hate sniper rifles. Yeah, now this is carried by, I, I believe, well, there's a sniper class of the Locust, uh, primarily. It's really good for popping Locust heads, it's super accurate, as you can imagine, um, and it does a lot of damage with a perfect active reload. That's why I felt it was... With the perfect active right. reload. Yeah. I, so are there levels of active reload? Can you get, like, an okay active reload? Yes, you can. Oh, okay. if, you get, if you get a bit closer to the bar, but you're not quite on target. Okay. Yeah. So, sniper rifles, man, always been the bane of my existence. In a yeah. first-person shooter type game, I do not have the patience. I start to get antsy if I'm just sitting there. Uh, yeah, this this is the opposite of the easy weapon. This yeah. is you have to be twitch point accurate, pretty much. But I do feel like it's probably one of the easier sniper rifles to use in a video game, just because there's no there's no realism in the sense that you don't get the breathing aspect of it. Okay. So oh. whatever you're aiming at, you you pretty much peg it instantly, as long as you... you so, it, so the crosshair is solid. Yeah. It moves. See, that's interesting. Move. Yeah. That's, that's the sniper so, rifle I can get by. Yeah. 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 It's not like a Call of Duty sniper rifle, where, you know, you've got the... You've got to account for your breath and the movement oh, of your see. character. Like, I'm thinking of the Metal Gear Solid one. Like, you look through the scope, but it's going up and down and yeah. left and right. And they actually yeah. had a pickup in that game... The uh, Diazepam. Right? How do you remember that? You're a crazy man. <laughs> uh, the Diazepam to like calm your breathing so that you could shoot a little bit straighter. Oh, yeah. Usually, that's the challenge with sniper rifles. Yeah. Like, not so in this one. And it's and I mean, it has been sort of said online that it, you know it's it, it's not a real sniper rifle because it's so easy to use and this yeah, and that. But, <laughs> but it's also so. It's, it's also well, you know, in terms of video games, I mean, but it's also probably the most satisfying when you get a, a headshot because right. it's like but completely it's the most ridiculous. Realism, yeah, in a video in a game, game yeah. where well, there are men dressed as tanks running around shooting. True. true. So zombie saying, bugs. I'm saying like Call of Duty types, you know, people right. who play so online. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> debatable. <laughs> I would agree with you, but. It's it, too much realism is a real thing. Yeah, that yeah, can happen yeah. in video games. And if you're already dealing with aliens, I mean, I guess the opposite extreme is the sniper rifle from Perfect Dark, the Farsight. Right. Remember that one? Like, oh, it could see true, and shoot through, through, yeah, walls, through walls, and it would actively track a target. Which That's pretty, pretty yeah, sweet. That you, is pretty cool. You just, you just sat in the corner and held down the button, waited for it to tell you to pull the trigger. When it told you to pull the trigger, you pressed the button, you scored a point. <laughs> it was yeah. the most frustrating when someone used it against you. Well, yeah. yes. I mean, obviously, I had no idea what was going on. Obviously, if I'm not the one using it, then it's bullshit, <laughs> and the game is broken. If I have it, well, I mean, you know, obviously, like it's a part of the game. That's just I sound like Shaggy. Here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> another another callback. Like Shaggy had that big thing with the sniper rifle in Halo Two. That's his big thing, right? His, his super bouncing up to the top of somewhere. With that thing. Yeah. See, I really like like. 
I mean, yeah, the boom shot is fun because it's a yeah. big explosion. Yeah. I like fire. I like explosions. <laughs> but a precision weapon like that, that's a, that's a whole game in itself. You know, like just True. the challenge. You have to be so perfect and so accurate to hit a moving target. Maybe less so in Gears of War less because so everyone Gears. is so yeah. slow. Yeah, and it's just, the the game is so over the top anyway, and the guns are so over the top that it's like, the, like you said, it doesn't take itself too seriously. So I, f- I feel like the sniper rifle is, you know, fits in perfectly with that world. Right. Like their sniper rifle. Right? And you only get a couple of shots with that, if I recall, right? Like, with, uh, the, like the clip is pretty tw- small. Yeah, it is. Well, you can have 24 rounds. Oh, gee, that's um, pretty good. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you can't fire. Obviously, you can't fire them very quickly because the reload bar is pretty high. But... Right. Oh, yeah, and there's only, like, one bullet yeah. in a clip at a time. Yeah. So you're still... I think that's what I remember. That's why oh, I remember yeah. being frustrated. Uh, that game is a lot of, like, panicking and mashing the trigger, <laughs> and you can't do that with that it, no. sort of precise a weapon. It's one of those things where, like... It's it's almost like muscle memory with the reloads because once you start playing a lot, you remember exactly how oh, to okay, reload right. each gun. So you're like, like how the... far down you need to go. So, so you're like... the cool veteran now who yeah. does it with a blindfold on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, kind of. It's like, a... You know those gun movies where the guy walks in and there's the old grizzled guy <laughs> who builds the gun like while he's blindfolded yeah. and then checks his time yeah. <laughs> while still blindfolded. Yeah, while still yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. You're that yeah. guy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I don't even look at the bar anymore. I just I kind of know it from memory, you know? It's right. Just... Oh, man. Careful, folks. We got a badass a... over here. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, really. <laughs> just played too much. Yeah, bad thing for the guys <laughs> you're playing against, yeah. I suppose. What you're telling me here is that I'm too old for this game now. There's no way I will build up that muscle memory. That is correct. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> May take several hours of, of multiplayer to <laughs> to, to make achieve me that. never want to play yes. the game again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So number two, I have the Nasher shotgun. So this is a weapon you can shoot from the hip. It covers a lot of real estate. Obviously, a shotgun uh, can be fired very quickly. And one of the big things, especially on the multiplayer scene, is the shoddy roll. Shoddy which, roll. Yeah. Okay. Now. I'm picturing sushi. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Which is... But tell me about this shoddy roll. So, this is... Sushi is what they look like when you're done with them. <laughs> right, Red Steve? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> this is, this is a, like, a very popular thing from the first Gears game, because I think they've, they've nerfed the gun since then. It was, it was really powerful and online in the first game. And people would do this thing where they'd... They'd be rolling while shooting, so it's like mid roll you can shoot and like while you're evading, like you're yeah, throwing yourself. Yeah, you, you you can kind of roll left, right, or even back, and you're shooting at the same time. Now, so you don't guys, need to focus at all. Were the guys who complained about the realism of the sniper rifle complaining about this too? Because I can't imagine Possibly. shooting <laughs> while doing a cartwheel is. I think is... there were definitely complaints because they nerfed the game in the in right. The Man, I can't even do a cartwheel without a shotgun. I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but uh, it was a great way of taking guys out, and it's just—I mean, it's just—it's just a great gun. Like what you're describing, then I guess. So if you're rolling and evading, so you're harder to hit because you're moving faster yeah. and you're smaller. But at the same time, like the area of effect from this weapon, like, yeah, it's the, again, it's kind of the opposite of that sniper rifle. It's really wide, right? You don't have to right. be very precise. Yeah, it's like it's um, it's like a twelve gauge, I think, and it shoots like nine nine pellets or something like that, and a widespread and like arc in front of you. So you're rolling while you're shooting. So pretty much anything that was there is is gone. You know, it's just okay. 
Yeah. Now, in the single player, like I don't recall running into enemies with this very often. I, I don't know, maybe no, that's because I played I think... with you and you're too good and they never got close. <laughs> or... uh, the Grenadiers had them a lot. The, the ones that were carrying the... Um, the bolo grenades? The bolo grenades, yeah. They they always had the national this is shotgun. Isn't it like they, they spin it around? Like it's on the end of a chain. It's like right, an explosive, right. yeah. They spin it around and then throw out like an Ewok. But and does it like wrap around your legs? And, did, and trip you up? And, and then blow, blow your legs off? off? My experience was the did. blowing the legs off part. Ah. Yeah, that's, I got that a lot. <laughs> Yeah. Um, no, anyway, but about, so the Nasher. So, now there's more than one shotgun in this game, right? There yes. is. There's the Sawed-Off as well, which I think that one was introduced in 3. So I what, think. like, yeah. But, so what is it about that one that isn't so, as good? that one has really, really short range. Chloe, you basically have to be standing right in front of your, your target to, to hit it. Huh. I mean, it, it, it hits pretty much in like a 180 degree radius. Okay, so it does a lot. Like it sort yeah, of spreads you, out horizontally, yeah, but it's not out, going like, anywhere. Two guys mm. in front of you, but you have to basically be standing like a foot away from them. Whereas the Nasher has more the range. The Nasher has a lot more range, yeah, and a lot more reach, and it's got more shots as well. So it's like with the I think with the sawed off it's like a buckshot, so you have to reload Immediately, like essentially. Yeah. Okay. But the Nasher has a clip. Yeah. Again, like the, and again, maybe this is just my perception, but the enemies in this game take a long time to defeat. They do. Okay. So yeah. if you got enough in there to keep bang, 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 yeah. bang, bang, And you don't want to get like, right up close to them either, right? Because some of the bigger uh, enemies, like the Maulers and stuff, you just don't want to be standing next to them when they're going to swing like, and smash you with a... <laughs> it's like the troll from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Just gonna... Right. So I, I know we're, we're getting towards the end of your list so maybe this is uh, the wrong time to be asking this but how many guns are in the game uh that's a good question uh, there's a lot <laughs> there are a lot of there's a lot of like very specialty guns as well but like the like i compiled my list based on like guns that i feel fit the most situations you okay. know they're most versatile mm-hmm. and so out of those there's but like there's what, 10 maybe it must I, be at least 15, I would say. Probably. Yeah, I was going to say closer to 20. Because wow. there's a couple of different guns that fit each sort of archetype. Like okay. A couple yeah. of shotguns, a couple of pistols. And then they're the ones that the like the humans guns. make and the ones that the aliens the make. make. Ah, yeah. Okay. yeah, there's locust-specific guns, I think, in the third game as well. This is going to date me, but I remember when uh, you know, a first-person shooter was on a, a computer and... You had a gun for each number. So the maximum number of guns was 10. It was like one was the, your hand, yeah, two right. was a pistol, three was like a big little hand, better. karate chop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so wow, 20 guns. Yeah. And again, and then, you know, like when you think, compared to something like GoldenEye 64, where right. you had, it must have been 100. Okay. Um, you yeah, know, there were a lot. Yeah. I mean, but in this case, it's a lot more like you want to take the weapon that suits the situation. That's cr- you know, yeah. you, you're, and especially because you can't carry them all at once, like in one of those old PC games. Yeah. You have like, I mean, there's four slots. Yeah, so you but have a I grenade, think... a pistol, and then like a special gun and your your base gun, like an assault rifle or whatever you choose, I guess. Right. So you can't carry a shotgun and a sniper rifle and a uh, yeah. Other thing. You have to have either the shotgun. Well, I think you, you could swap them out in in the later games, but it was. It was hard because you wouldn't have enough ammo for each gun to really be yeah, useful okay. on its own, you know? It, it's sort of that semi-realism yeah. where like, you don't have a bag of holding to stuff all this right. stuff in. Um, but you, know, you can carry those two or three. I guess if you think it's sort of the same way Mass Effect did it, 
Um, I mean, Mass Effect, you couldn't pick up new guns on the way, but you filled your slots into what fit on his back. This sort of works that same way. So you have to know what they are to be smart about what you're taking into the next situation. Yeah. And inevitably, then they'd throw in the wrong guy. Right. Because uh, yeah. you, you took the sniper rifle, and now you're getting swarmed by these little guys, and that, damn it. Yeah. And you have to go back, and finally, it's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, and obviously people who are, like, well-versed with multiplayer, they know, you know, the best guns to have on specific maps and things like that. So. Right. The map's got a big, long yeah. hallway. The sniper rifle is going to be more useful. Right. Lots exactly. of narrow corridors. You're going to be, you know, shotgun's going to be a lot more helpful. All right, so yeah. should we move on to uh, number one? My number one. Should we should we get a drum roll or something? I don't know. No. No. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, I've got the Mark II Lancer assault rifle, Thank which you. is let's be honest, Pretty the much. entire reason to talk about Gears yeah. of War. Guns. Is, this is true. the one. Just That's before true. we get into the details here, uh, please, uh, is there a Mark One? Yes. Yes. All right. Okay. It's not as cool. Okay. No. But, Let me talk about two first, and yeah. then yeah. So. This is basically the standard weapon, you know, it's, uh, it's on the, the cover art for all the games, Marcus Phoenix holding the, the Lancer. Um, it's a great weapon for any situation, it's got really good range and accuracy. I, you're skipping over the coolest part, and you're killing well, me. I, I'm sorry, at the very bottom I had chainsaw in, 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 in caps, <laughs> with the exclamation. This is yeah. a machine gun with a chainsaw attached to yeah. it. The way a ye old musket man had the bayonet on the bottom, this right. thing has a powered chainsaw. <laughs> this is the single Pretty image much. that took Gears of War and sold it as a yeah, franchise. Right. This is why we talk about cool weapons in Gun Gears of War. Gun with chainsaw. <laughs> gun with a chainsaw bayonet. So is there a reason to use any other gun? Ever. Well, because sometimes you run out of ammo for this one. Yes. <laughs> um, you can't chainsaw certain enemies like the what? like the grinder we mentioned. Some of the bigger enemies can't be chainsawed. It's just the more the smaller humanoid enemies that can be chainsawed. And but I mean, yeah, it's it's always like a good weapon to have along with like a specialty weapon, like okay. a boom shot or something. It's a yeah. good you know. It's, it's a good all rounder. All rounder. It can fill yeah. all you know. It can help out in every category, like a jack of all trades. And it has a chainsaw. Yeah. So <laughs> if you're in that situation where someone's too close and you don't want them to be, you like can on the subway. Yeah, exactly. Like you're on your way to work, right. and there's that one guy who's just taking like he doesn't take his knapsack off. Yeah. Right. It's the worst. Chainsaw. So much better. <laughs> to be fair, this is also the reason why the game has an M for mature rating. Yes. Right. Um, because some of those chainsaw those chainsaw defeats kills are, are grizzly. Yeah, they are terrible. I, I, I'm a jaded millennial. Well, not quite millennial. We're Generation X, I guess. No, I think we're millennials. millennials. All right, I'm a jaded millennial. We'll do another top five on... Uh, <laughs> top five generations? Yeah. <laughs> or top five reasons Jesse is old. <laughs> no, I'm a jaded millennial, and those chainsaw deaths are... I mean, they're exactly what you imagine would happen if a giant, you know, seven-foot-tall, four-meter-wide super soldier... Runs up to a guy with a chainsaw. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. It uh, and it goes into almost like a a, a mini cutscene as well as you're like chainsawing the guy. How through. does it work in <laughs> multiplayer? Don't um, get close to a guy with a chainsaw. Does it go, oh, go to a? It cut still scene does the cutscene. You're almost like invincible for a couple of seconds uh, okay. while you're chainsawing somebody. But I have seen some 
like crazy multiplayer rounds where people were like two or pe- three guys were chainsawing one dude like they all got into the same animation and then someone was standing at the back and like fired a boom <laughs> shot into it and just killed all of them right now so nice like, there's just in, yeah just you know insta give I'm sure they thought ridiculous. it was worth it yeah uh, but see that's what we call chainsaw hubris uh. <laughs> and instant carbon <laughs> Uh, this is the uh, one. Yeah, this is the one gun that makes Gears of War really unique, yeah, right, and horrible uh, in, yeah. in that sense. Wasn't there a, a special edition of one of the games where it came with a, a model of one of these guns? I don't I know think, if it was bundled like with it, but there certainly or? are like life-size replicas, yeah. right? Like officially released ones. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I mean, horrible. I mean, it's not a real chainsaw, obviously. <laughs> it's plastic, and like you know, all it does is it makes a noise yeah. when you press the button. Right. But this is the iconic image of that game. Yeah. And and just what a what a unique and horrible like it's kind of a Mad Max feel. Okay. I feel. I'm sorry, John. I'm totally no, 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 hijacking. It's fine. It's, it's, it's I'm cool. totally hijacking Run the list. I love this. Like, I mean, it's not a lightsaber, but in terms of cool weapon ideas, yeah. That is great. Uh, Graham, because you asked, there is the Mark I Lancer. Um, that one, it's just a big, sharp spike. Um, yeah, it is pretty much a bayonet on the end yeah. of the gun. I mean, it's you ludicrously just, you run, proportioned. You run at guys and stab them and then lift them over you and throw them in the air. That's pretty cool, too. Yeah. But what? how does it play into the game? Is it like, is, is that a, from a prequel game where that they shows up? They introduced it in Gears 3, and uh, yeah. I think it was carried... By the locust who'd sort of made a they salvaged it or like yeah, recreated they'd it. They made like a room. If, if you mean in terms of plot details, yeah, like well, they had this thing with the bayonet, and then you know it wasn't good enough, right? And so they it, said, it kind of. Oh, I think it ties a lot more into the books too, like with the pendulum wars and stuff. I haven't. Uh, okay. I don't know much about it. Yeah, I, I'm pretty but, sure. Like you're as the protagonist, your dad is the guy who invents the chainsaw. Yeah, okay. Like yeah. your dad is this like super scientist sort of yeah. like leader figure. Um, it was really important to the story for reasons that weren't terribly clear to me no. because Gears of War doesn't it's, revolve it doesn't, no, very no. heavily around the story, no, but no. he designed this... It revolves around a chainsaw guy. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> the, the whole game is designed around this chainsaw guy. So at basically. some point, somebody came, went to your dad and he uh. said, so I'm trying to stab these aliens. Yeah. And it's tough because they're tough aliens. Can I get like a better stabbing thing? <laughs> and your dad and said, hang on, I'm going to give you lots of little stabby things attached to a like a combustion engine. You're going to love it. Yeah. And uh, one thing led to another, and here we are. It's the happiest Father's Day ever. Essentially. <laughs> I did, my dad was a handyman. I mean, you know, it's, it's a dad thing. Dads do projects. Okay. Um, in any case, so yeah. What, yeah. <laughs> that, is like, that is the weapon of Gears of War. It, it, it is a blast. It does a Pretty ton of stuff, much. and it's what the series is known for. Which is yeah. fun. Like, there's a lot of cool video game series out there that have their own iconic weapons. Like, Halo, for better or worse, it tends to be the Covenant Energy Sword. It's pretty mm. sweet. Oh, that's cool. It's, it, it's, yeah. it's cool. It's, I mean, like, it's very much like a... It's, it's a not a lightsaber. Right. Uh, and it's also not what the hero tends to use, which is a little strange. But it's just because it's a cool mm. design. It's what caught on. And, it's like, and when you lock on to someone with it, you get yeah, propelled like, forward. Yeah, and so like, you're, like, do chasing uppercut people around. Kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Instant kill them. Yeah. Uh, other, awesome. g- other games, you know, Quake had the nine-inch nail gun. Because Nine Inch Nails did the music, but it was you know like a, a double barrel repeater that shot nails. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. Doom had the BFG. BFG. Yeah, I was gonna say the big friendly gun. giant. Yeah, the big friendly giant. Yeah, um, that coming this summer from Steven Spielberg. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> we're not getting paid for that, you know. <laughs> well, you're uh, not. 
Ugh. So yeah, the BFG that was just... Uh, there was a big green ball and then a big flash of light and then all your enemies went away. Um, yes. All your problems were solved immediately. <laughs> like those iconic weapons that sell these shooter games. And the Lancer is the one that made yes. Gears of War sort of what it is. Hmm. Now, if you're one of those crazy, you know, addled by video game, desensitized to violence people like us, um, Gears of War, the they just released the remaster of Gears of War 1 for, yeah. for X-Bone. Gears Ultimate Edition. That's what it is, right. And then the trilogy yeah. is still available across... Is the whole thing on 360, or do you have to go all the way back to the original I, Xbox? I think everything's on available on 360. Um, and I believe if you like pre-ordered the Ultimate Edition, you got the first three games as well. Okay, so yeah. Free. So uh, even on your Xbox One, there's a way to keep playing yeah. Gears of War. Uh, to be clear, I said trilogy, but there are in fact four games. Yeah. Because like we. But they don't really count that fourth one too much. <laughs> so wait, what, what was the deal then? It was a different production studio. Well, or no, it was Gears of War, Same Gears of guys. War Two, Gears of War Three, and then Gears of War. We'd like to make some more Gears money. Ah, yeah. Which, Basically, it was kind of tacked on almost. It was it was Baird's story, who's one of the the key members of of Delta Squad, your but team, your right. team, yeah. But it's kind of weird because it's like he was, I guess he was in charge of Delta Squad, and then he he does something that gets him like dishonorably discharged, essentially, and then Marcus takes over for yeah. Delta Squad, who just weird. got out of prison for yeah, being right. dishonorably yeah, discharged. It's all very strange. This is a very dark Mad Max. <laughs> dystopian right. kind of yeah everybody's a jerk yeah and a yeah, criminal no in this game um so if you're into no honor criminal jerks <laughs> with chainsaw guns it's out there if you want to try it and supposedly gears of war 4 gears is in the war works really. and they have a release date now oh as well yeah october 11th october 11th we can look forward to Very seeing those exciting. chainsaw deaths and super high definition thanks for coming steve thank you always for having a, me right? always a Special thanks, to, as, as always, to our wonderful guests. Thank you. And uh, you've been listening to Geek Top 5, the podcast. Uh, extra special thanks, of course, to Ben Sound from bensound.com for a theme song. Um, Stella Sinanova, our webmaster, who's keeping all this where people can find it. And uh, if you have any questions, concerns, complaints, or any other arguments about well, you know, why you wouldn't like the answer for some reason, it's 101 ways to get in touch with us. At least three. Okay, uh, that's close. <laughs> I was close. <laughs> you can email us at geektop5 at gmail.com. You can reach us at facebook.com slash geektop5. And you can reach us at geektop5 on Twitter. You can also go to our website, www.geektop5.com. Tell your friends, tell your family. Geek Top 5, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening.